Welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, episode number 25. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest with us. Alicia from Daishin Family Sleep is going to be talking to us all about her area of expertise, which is sleep without sleep training. And I know you might be thinking, what does that mean? And you need to listen to this episode because this is exactly why I love Alicia. She is a unicorn amongst all of the sleep consultants out there that really don't align with our gentle or attachment parenting style. And so if you are wanting to find some support in a way that works for you and your family, then you need to go and find Alicia right now. And I finally found her on TikTok. (laughs) So there are a lot of places that you can get her support. Welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, Alicia. Hi, thank you for having me. So let's first start off by talking about what made you decide to become a sleep consultant? Um, well, I had my I had my daughter and uh, she did not sleep uh, pretty much from day one. I think a lot of people tell you that newborns, all they do is sleep and mine, mine never did that. Um, and then just as being a first time mom, uh, there was, of course, a lot of pressure to sleep train. And we actually did initially uh, sleep train around six months because I was kind of told that I needed to teach her to self-soothe. And um, initially it did work. Um, Unfortunately, it was horrible, but um, she was sleeping, I guess, through the night. Um, And I initially was like, oh my goodness, this this is amazing. I want to become a sleep consultant and teach other families, you know, what what I've learned. And um, I, I... started my journey as a sleep consultant. And then uh, right around nine months, um, there was a lot going on development wise for her. And she began to really, really hate bedtime, um, was suffering from severe separation anxiety. It was actually quite a nightmare. Um, Bath time was horrible. And um, I was halfway through my program at that time. And I was told to retrain her. Uh, I didn't. Um, <laughs> we started nursing to sleep, snuggling to sleep, um, supporting her, um, responding to her overnight. And I really began to just shift my entire perspective on what I was learning. Um, I was seeing the studies that were uh, shown about sleep training and trying, you know, them pretty much telling me that it was okay. Um, and it just really began to not feel okay. I mean, it never really felt great, to be perfectly honest. Um, but initially she was not sleeping very well because I know, I think a lot of really suppressed emotions were kind of coming to the surface and whatnot. And, um, we, we definitely had a a hard time with that. Um, and then she began to sleep a lot better, still waking up at night, like normal babies do because babies wake at night. It's a normal thing. Um, and I, I did finish my certification. So I am a certified uh, sleep consultant who is trained in all methods of sleep training, but I don't use any of them. Um, I began to research heavily into attachments and just neuroscience and children and began to quickly understand that, uh, self-soothing wasn't exactly what was going on there. And, um, yeah, I'm actually currently working on getting my second sleep certification, uh, through a company that doesn't use any sleep training at all. And is kind of continuing my, my education on attachment and all the aspects of that. Um, and now, yeah, I, I support families without sleep training and try to help them avoid going through what, what we had gone through initially. 
Yeah. And and I'm so sorry that you went through that because like you're saying, you already had that kind of idea or your instinct was kicking in that something didn't feel quite right about that. Yet we have all these people telling us that babies should be sleeping through 12 hours, that they shouldn't need us overnight, that we should just be able to magically put them down the cot and they just go to sleep (laughs) by themselves. And I'm like you, my children don't sleep. Um, they sleep when they're next to me. They're, they sleep when I'm breastfeeding them at night. And so we all get sleep that way. And I found it so hard with my first, my daughter, when she hit that notorious four-month mark. That's where I really felt my sanity dwindling away. And uh, because breastfeeding was really important for me, um, I share my story in the sense that's like, I went to one of those mother's groups and I was just opening up about not getting enough sleep. And all of them were telling me to put her onto formula as if that was the magic answer to getting her to sleep through the night. So if I had listened to that, that would have not only been damaging for the sleep and development, but also that would have ended our breastfeeding relationship. And I'm, I know that that would have upset me a lot as well. A hundred percent. I'm sorry you had to go through that too, because it's something that is commonly, commonly thrown around, you know, put them on formula and they'll sleep better, feed them solids and they'll sleep better, you know, put rice cereal in the bottle and they'll sleep better. And it's just, no. It's so dangerous. (laughs) Like that's not good advice. It's really damaging. And like you said, there's good reasons why they wake up at night. One of them is being like a protective factor against SIDS. They're designed to wake up. But also when you think about us as adults, we wake up sometimes to have a sip of water or to roll over (laughs) and like we treat kids so differently to that. A hundred percent. It's, it's so, so true. You know, they, we do wake up briefly at night and we do roll over and go back to sleep and stuff and, you know, wake up and need a drink in the middle of the night. And that's another thing too, just around, um, you know, weaning at six months or, you know, by a certain weight, it's just, they don't need any feeds overnight. Uh, it's just, it, it's really something that kind of triggers me. It's, it's very, yeah, very incorrect. Um, especially if you're a lactation consultant or have any expertise in that area. It's not, it's not something you want to be doing at six months. If you do have, you know, kind of long-term breastfeeding goals, things like that, it's, it'll definitely uh, jeopardize that. Yes. And I don't think people realize that milk is the primary source of nutrition for the first 12 months. They yeah. just think, six months magically that's meant to stop. But really, um, and I follow the WHO, the World Health Organization, what it says is foods are meant to complement breastfeeding mm-hmm. from six months. And that's um, taking into a lot of other factors where they're developmentally ready anyway for solids. That's like a whole other conversation we could have. But it's still really important for them to get that nutrition overnight because when you do think about it, if they are sleeping 12 hours, that's a long time. That's half the day. And it really is quite ridiculous to expect anyone, let alone a small developing child, to go so long without any uh, food or, or water intakes. Like, you know, when I'm talking about breast, uh, breast milk or whatever being food and liquid, but then you also have the comfort side of it. Breastfeeding is more than that. It provides them with a great sense of comfort. And if they're teething or if they've had a nightmare or if you've been at work all day and so they're just looking to reconnect, there are so many things that we are ignoring if we're going down that route of sleep training um, that is damaging. Share with us a bit more about why this 
I guess, traditional sleep training is damaging? So separation-based sleep training, so um, the idea of leaving a child to self-soothe, and I'm using quotation marks because I I don't believe that that is a thing. Um, It's just simply what's, it's not what's happening. You know, children don't neurologically show signs of being able to regulate their own emotions until close to the age of three. And I, I believe that that's, you know, just signs of showing it. It's so much more than that. You know, we know it's some adults that can't, are not capable of regulating their own emotions. Um, so true. <laughs> infants, you know, they have an underdeveloped hippocampus, prefrontal cortex. They're just not capable of actually down-regulating their emotions from a heightened state of stress. So this idea of an infant crying and crying calming themselves down and going to sleep is just simply what it's not what's happening. You know, um, infants, they regulate their own emotions by co-regulating with us. And that requires physical contact and parental support. And it can't be done from behind a closed door. Um, and you know, there's, there's these methods of, you know, these timed check-ins and stuff that are generally used on, you know, six month olds that they may, they barely started to kind of develop that, you know, uh, person permanence at that point in time, they still have a very underdeveloped hippocampus. And it's just, it's just more so that they've realized you've left the room. They, they don't have a sense of time. They don't know you're coming back. So this idea of, you know, timed check-ins is just, <laughs> it's also nonsense. I know that the kind of the hardcore sleep training methods are like cry it out, but there's other methods that are sold to parents as, as very gentle methods. And I don't think that they're very gentle at all. Um, you know, there's, there, the term self-soothing, it was created by a gentleman named Tom Anders when he was studying infant sleep patterns overnight, you know, he was watching and seeing, um, what the infants were doing when they woke up, you know, some of them would wake up and they would look around and go back to sleep. Some would cry out for parental assistance and go back to sleep. So this term wasn't even really isn't being used properly. It was just a term that he was using to describe whether or not a baby was a signaler or a non-signaler. And, you know, some babies who are very easygoing will, you know, wake briefly, look around and go back to sleep. But I would definitely not consider that the norm. Um, (laughs) And that's kind of what he was describing. The term self-soothing came from those babies. And it wasn't really something that was supposed to be meant or meant to be taught to infants. Um, it was just simply more so a temperament thing that these babies, you know, relaxed and went to sleep on their own. And the majority of babies don't do that. <laughs> um, but now we, we are constantly told that it's something that we need to be teaching infants. And it's just not. Um, they will learn to soothe themselves by co-regulating with us and learning that sleep is a safe place to go and remain and and you know they can relax and go to sleep because we were we provide them with a relaxing bedtime routine you know none of us cry ourselves to sleep or i mean some of us might but it's not generally a very relaxing experience (laughs) that's such a good point and i didn't know that about where that term came from that's really interesting he just was probably describing what happened and didn't realize people were going to use it and twist it in a way that was going to work for for them and how why do we think that treating children like this is okay i mean if i was upset and my husband decided to just lock me in my room and tell me to go to sleep i would certainly not be happy with that and there's no way i'd be like okay i'm gonna relax my body and go to sleep now and i feel like a lot of pain can be solved here just by having those realistic expectations Um, something that was brought up recently that I thought was so funny in a sad way is that when we're pregnant, 
everyone tells us get sleep now while you can. So that means people know, everyone knows that baby's wake and that you're not going to have sleep, right? Then the second we give birth, the question then turns to, are they sleeping through? <laughs> and you're like, what are you talking about? Just a month ago, you were telling me to expect them waking up. But then we're made to feel like we've done something wrong as a parent and that we've failed as a parent because our child is waking at night, which is actually completely normal and developmentally appropriate all the way up to three to five years. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, and I love that you have that extra training where you, t where you know about attachment because those first three years are really crucial and they really do need us to be there for them. And at some point we just have to accept that for, for some time it does need to be a little bit more about them than it does about us. And there's nothing wrong with that either. We can still, you know, find our groove <laughs> in being ourselves and still being us in parenting without finding issues in other areas. And when it comes to things like sleep, a lot of the times people are putting their children to sleep in a way that's working for them, but then they feel like they have to change it for some reason, just because someone told them. Oh yeah. That one's a big one for me. It's, you know, your baby's waking at night because you're nursing them to sleep. And I know you've seen my TikToks on that and rocking your baby to sleep. They have to, they have to go to sleep the same way overnight that they fell asleep, things like that. And there's these common analogies that are used like, well, like, how would you feel if you woke up and your pillow was gone or, you know, you went to sleep and woke up outside. And I'm like, it's just, just these silly analogies that I, I feel like it's just fear mongering for parents. Um, you know, I can a hundred percent say with confidence that a child is not waking overnight because of the way you put them to sleep. Like I work with families all the time that nurse snuggle rock support their babies to sleep and they link sleep cycles fine. Yes. Some of them still wake up at night. Some of them can sleep through the night if it is developmentally appropriate and all their needs are met, but you know, babies do wake at night, but you know, if they were not linking sleep cycles, um, that would be, I would know. Yeah. And <laughs> they're not waking up to no. hate us. Like they're not manipulating us. They're not going, you know what? At 1.01 AM, I'm going to wake up mom because I really want to ruin the night. Like they don't think that way. They're thinking, oh, I'm awake. It's dark. That's a little bit scary. I'm a bit cold. You know what? I really want to cuddle mom. <laughs> like that's what's going through their mind. Yeah, there's a need that needs to be met. And I just hear all the time. It's like, well, they're fed and they're dry. So like all their needs are met. I'm like, no, 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 no. There are emotional needs that need to be met. And they also need to be set up for optimal sleep. Like there is a whole sleep science aspect to it. And there's a lot of different pieces that kind of come into play. Um, and, you know, yes, the sleep science part is a very small aspect of it. But, you know, the relationship, what's going on with mom, how everyone else in the family is feeling about sleep. There's there's a lot of different things that I that I do focus on. Like my, my intake form is like people think I'm crazy, but it's like 50 questions long, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I need as much information as possible because it's not just a simple yes or no question or try this or that. Um, you know, it's, it is complicated for sure, but you know, the things that are sold to parents are constantly, you know, they're, they're just fears, you know, mm. there are people who get them, you know, to stop feeding their baby to sleep and they'll sleep through the night. And I, I come across babies all the time that go to sleep independently and still wake up at night. And then the parents are all confused because they've got their child to go to sleep independently and they're still yeah. waking up at night. And just like how formula fed babies can wake up as well. Mm -hmm. 
I know. I think it's a little bit easier for me now with my second because my first is four now, but she started sleeping through uh, from a probably close to three years old. There was a time before that, that she was sleeping through, but then she started waking up again. Um, and I think it just helped us relax so much more because I was driving myself crazy. The more I was focused on it, the more I felt like I had to put in these different changes, like the pick down, put up method or whatever. And I was just flustered and a mess. And as if she was going to fall asleep calmly when I wasn't even calm. And it was, there was one time I tried that and it was so damaging that when she had fallen asleep, once I did our typical way, she was like jumping back awake in her sleep. And it was horrific. And that was one time when she was four months that I felt that I had to do that. And in that moment, I was like, no, this is 1000% wrong. There is no way that this is what we should be doing. There's no way that cavemen and cave women were doing cried out with their babies because old mate dinosaur down the road would have heard and come along and eaten them. So there's actual reasons, so many reasons why we're wired this way to wake up. Yep. Yeah. No. And it's, I love that you're talking about, you know, the history and stuff behind it because, um, you know, parents they're the idea of like room sharing and stuff. I think, I don't know what the recommendations are where, where you're located, but, um, counted in the States, it's generally six to 12 months of room sharing. And it's, I have families who, who will move baby early and stuff because babies do sleep deeper when they are away from their, their mothers, right? Like we naturally stay in a light state of sleep and baby stays in a lighter state of sleep as a protective mechanism. Right. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting cause it's like, Oh, my baby slept so much better in their own room. I'm like, they just slept deeper, you know? Mm. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting for sure. Yeah. I think we have a mix of recommendations, but ours is pretty much the same where we are, you're recommended to do some version of co-sleeping for the first six to 12 months because of all the benefits that we know about. And that can look different. That can look like cot in the room or the sidecar cot or bed sharing. And I think bed sharing is one of the ones that people are still not talking about because there's so much fear mongering around that. Um, Mm -hmm. Because we hear those horrible (laughs) stories about babies passing away because of suffocation. But then when we look into those stories, a lot of the time it's either a parent's fallen asleep on an unsafe sleep surface, like a couch or they've had like blankets and pillows and toys all around the baby. And that can happen in a cot as well. You know, I don't think people realize that SIDS used to actually be called cot death. So there's that to consider as well. And there are safe ways that you can do it because you don't want to make mothers think that are so tired and exhausted that they have to do it a certain way when they could just lay down and have a sleep with the baby next to them on a flat surface nothing around them and everyone's getting more sleep and rest. hundred percent. And it's, that's the, it, it, it's definitely, it's such a hot topic and such a controversial topic. But one of the things that really, you know, it's absolutely, I think it's a personal decision whether or not you choose to bed share. Um, it's one of those things that initially just as a sleep consultant with my initial certification, it was something that I was not allowed to recommend. Um, and now with the, the certification that I'm going through now, I'm actually learning um, from Dr. James McKenna. So I, I, I know all about That's amazing. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so I'm really, really enjoying that aspect of my program right now because I, I'm learning so much about bed sharing and it's just information that needs to get 
be given to all parents right right off the bat you know not this i know obviously it's not recommended by um the american pediatrics association or health canada but there's a very high percentage of families who reactively bed share or fall asleep mm-hmm. in recliners and things like that and if we just you know even if you don't plan to bed share have us have information on how to do it safely and to set up a safe place um to do it would be make a make a world of a difference um you know i we she wouldn't sleep anywhere but on me and we were bed sharing in an incredibly unsafe way and we just had no information on it um and we're very very lucky that nothing happened but you know i i do know with my next one um I will be, I, we will absolutely be set up for safe bed sharing and may just shift, choose to completely go that route. I, I think it's a personal decision and I think parents need to have as much information as possible to kind of set themselves up for success because I think a lot of the time those accidents happen when mom is exhausted um, and breastfeeding in a recliner, which, you know, breastfeeding releases sleepy hormones for mom and baby. It's just an absolute cocktail for disaster. So Exactly. And instead of fear mongering or just flat out refusing the information, why can't we at least just give the safe information, you know, flat surface, no blankets, like things like that. Um, Because it's honestly the only way that we got sleep in our family. And basically both my kids are bed shared from day one and then closer to 12 months or from 12 months after then we did, um, you know, settling them in their room first. And then they came into our room for the rest of the night. And that worked really well for us too. And my daughter will happily go and put herself to sleep now if she wanted to. She'll tell us when she's tired. She'll like ask to go to sleep and there's absolutely no challenges with her. And so now I know for my son, who's only two and a half, I know he'll get there when he's ready and in such a better way. Like I love that I have my daughter who's four who can go and put herself to sleep. It's not stressful at all because she's learned to listen to her body and she knows that we're there. If she needs us, she feels safe. We even have like a, um, the cot mattress cause we didn't use the cot. So we put the mattress on the floor next to my side of the yep. bed. So if ever she needs to come in, we, we have that space for her. We call it her special bed. And she doesn't always use it either. She only uses it when she needs it, which is very rare. She asks to go into her bed now. And I'm like, oh, I actually want to cuddle. <laughs> it's so funny because we, my little one, she's just turned two and she's been in her crib for, for quite some time. Um, and I was always, you know, whenever, you know, she wasn't feeling well, or she woke up in the middle of the night, I'd always just pull her into bed. And I, cause I always miss snuggles. Um, and right before she turned two, I had said to my husband, I was like, look, like there's going to be kind of probably a whole bunch of developmental stuff. that's really going to affect, um, you know, affect her sleep. You know, she was sleeping 12 hours, right. And now that she, around this age, she started to wake up a little bit more. I was like, I want to switch her out of her crib and I want to set up a floor bed in her room. Um, so we did that and it's actually been such a lifesaver during this whole two year kind of progression because the random times that she is waking up, one of us just stumbles across the hall with a blanket, rolls over and goes to sleep. <laughs> it's been amazing. And we get those extra snuggles and she loves it. She's bed, bed. And she, she likes sleep. And, you know, we, we listen to her body when she's really not going to have a nap. She's not going to have a nap. I, sleep is not something that I force. I just, all I can do is, you know, set her up for optimal sleep. And, um, if she wants to sleep, she will sleep. 
And she does. She loves sleep. <laughs> yeah. And we do that as well. We had a time where um, we had, yeah, the, the mattress on the floor in her room and we took turns each night who would go into her. So then that way, one of us got a full night's sleep when we were really struggling, but then we were still able to meet her needs because the other parent was there. And I'm not, I know that not every family can do that as well. And so that's where you just need to have a think about how you can make it work for your family dynamic. Like, you know, if you're a single parent, then you might just want to embrace having a family bed or having like a cot or a mattress on the floor next to you. So at least your child has the option sometimes for them, just knowing they have the option makes them feel a lot better anyway. And then they feel like they don't need to use it all the time. A hundred percent. And that's, I, I I completely agree with that. It's so funny because I tell families all the time, like we have toddlers that are, you know, they have fears of the dark or, you know, monsters and things like that. And I always tell them, I'm like, when it, it's generally an issue with, with it's a relationship problem. I was like, it's a fear of separation. And you know, when children aren't wired for separation and it sends their brain into, um, you know, a sense of like fear, flight or fight or flight, sorry. Um, and it can begin to kind of play tricks on, on their brains and stuff. And they'll start to, you know, have fears of monsters in the dark and things like that. And generally when we just focus on the connection um, and the next connection, like in the morning and stuff like that, and that, that time together in the evening, it, the, the problems go away. It's always seems to be with older toddlers, more of a relationship problem than an actual sleep problem or a fear of something. It's, it's very interesting. And I love the fact that you guys have, you know, her special bed on the floor because it, you know, when they have that sense of security, they just sleep better. <laughs> yeah. And I sleep better, especially because I talk, uh, I've shared my story before how I suffer or still suffer with uh, postpartum anxiety. And for me, that mm -hmm. was also a way that I was able to sleep because otherwise I would have a lot of intrusive thoughts about something happening to her in her room, whether it was, you know, something horrible like her passing away or like an intruder coming into the room or something. And so that way as was another thing I could do to help me get more sleep. And it even brings up the fact that for those of us in relationships, we share a bed yet we expect our children to be all on, on their own. And some kids pick up on that as well. I've heard a few stories where the child has said, but you and daddy get to share a bed. And it's like, oh, yeah, they have a point there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they're not dumb. <laughs> they do pick up on that kind of stuff for sure. Um, no, and I, I love it. I think it's such a good thing to have, to give your child that option and stuff. And it, it helps them build that confidence and that independence naturally. Like independence is not something that needs to be forced and sleep is not something that you can, can force. It's a biological function like eating or, or going to the bathroom. It's not something you can force. If I told you to go to sleep right now and you are not tired, you could not do it. So Alicia, we're coming to the end of the podcast episode now. So do you have any final bits of advice or tips or steps that families can take to get better sleep for them and their children? Um, so of course, I think the aspect of the sleep science and making sure that, you know, the child is set up for optimal sleep. So that their internal sleep clock, their circadian rhythm is, you know, pretty regulated. Um, and that they actually have enough sleep pressure to go to sleep and stay to sleep. I think that's all really important. And a lot of the time we talk about these strict wake windows, um, 
but it is important to understand that there's no true science behind awake windows. You will notice with quite a few consultants that the awake windows really vary, and they're just averages of what sleep consultants see in each age group, and they may or may not work for your child. So I always recommend that families, you know, sit down and really get to know what their child's sleep cues are, when they're actually tired, when they're falling asleep, and just write things down for a few days and really get an idea of what your child's sleep pattern looks like. Um, because then you can kind of, you can assess it and really understand what their unique routine should be as opposed to strict schedules that you will find on Google um, that may not work for your child. You know, it's, it's funny because we have all these schedules that, you know, every child at 10 months should be sleeping X amount of hours. And it's just like saying every adult should be sleeping, you know, 10 hours a night or eight hours a night or, and, and things like that. And it's, it, every child is different. Um, and I would say to moms, you know, don't obsess about sleep because the moment that mom is stressed, baby is stressed. Um, mm, I, one yes. thing that I do happen quite a bit is um, moms will book a call with me and then we'll get on the call and they're like, my baby slept so much better last night. And initially I just kind of laughed it off and then I started to think about it and I'm like, it's because they, they knew that they were having a call with me. So they relaxed a little bit <laughs> and then they slept better the night before. Um, cause they're like, Oh my goodness, she's going to fix all my problems. <laughs> um, and I, I think just focusing on the relationship, I, I think that's the main thing with building a secure attachment, um, comes into play. And when we focus on the relationship, sleep naturally, it does improve. Um, and just follow your instincts. You know, if something is, does not feel right, it's probably not. Um, and you're not doing your child a disservice by not forcing independence on them and teaching them to soothe themselves. Um, we are meant to soothe our children. I love that. It's never the wrong choice to respond to a child. Never, never, not at all. Thank you so much, Alicia. You've shared so much wisdom in this episode and I really hope for those of you listening that are going through challenges, you find a bit of comfort in this, how it, you know, it's developmentally appropriate. It's normal. And of course, go and find Alicia and she can, you know, share with you her services if that's what you're looking into, or she shares a lot of her information. I know on Instagram and TikTok. Um, and Alicia, do you want to just remind everyone where they can find you? Uh, yeah, so you can find me just under the same handle, Dyshawn Family uh, Sleep, so D-Y-S-H-O-N, Family Sleep, um, on TikTok and Instagram, and I also have a Facebook page as well, and um, I do offer a free 30-minute clarity call, and you can just find that at DyshawnFamilySleep.com. Perfect, and I'll have all of that linked in the show notes below as well. Thank you so much again, Alicia, for being a guest on the Gentle Counselor podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.